if you're standing on Christ the solid rock today, would you say amen? amen. If you're not, you better say, oh, me, because... And get it straightened out. Hey, welcome Trace, new guitar player to our praise team. Thank you, Trace. Visited for the first time last week and already involved in ministry. We appreciate that. And Fitz, new guy over here, right? Uh, Fitz, thank you so much for filling in. Sharon and Steve need our prayers. They're not feeling too good this morning, so let's pray for them right now. Our Heavenly Fathers, we bow in your presence, your holy presence this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to sing praises to your name. Thank you for these who are leading us in that endeavor. Father, thank you for the truths of the words of the songs that we sing, that we can build uh, our whole life and our eternity upon the solid rock that is Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, thank you for your incredible grace and mercy that forgives us of a, of a boatload of sins. Father, it washes us clean with your precious blood so that we can stand righteous, not in our own robes, but dressed in your righteousness. We thank you, Father, for each person in the house today. We're thankful for those who are watching on YouTube uh, or Facebook. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to preach the word of God today and pray that you would bless the word as he goes forward. May it be your word and, and not our own. May it accomplish the purpose you have. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. And bless Shira and Steve. I forgot to say that, but Lord knows what's on my heart. You may be seated. Just a couple of moments, let me uh, give a, a word of instruction to those who are visiting for the first time here at First Baptist Church in the seat back in front of you is one of these connection cards. And boy, I tell you, we had a whole bunch of them filled out last week. I appreciate all of you who did that. If you're here for the first time, the first time in a long, long time, please take one of these out and fill it out. The pen should be in the, back, in the seat back as well. And then give them to us at the end of the service, or you can put them in the offering box in the back to the left of the double doors. Uh, that's where our members put their tithes and offerings, but visitors, just fill out your visitor, your connection card. We would appreciate that so very, very much. Today, we're going to be preaching on Jonah Part 4, uh, subtitled, Only the Greatest Evangelistic Campaign Ever. It was an incredible time, and so we're excited about that. David Waitley, where are you, my, yeah, my friend? In the very back. Come on up here. Uh, and uh, I want to mention Saturday, we're going to have a men's breakfast. Uh, is that going to be... Julie, is that going to be at Panera? Yeah, it's going to be at Panera. Okay, uh, so that'll be at 8 o'clock this coming Saturday morning. This is David Waitley. David, uh, would you come and give a little promo about something that uh, is rumored to happen around here about 845 every Sunday morning? Yes. Yes. I'm David. Sorry if I haven't met most of you. I'm a little shy sometimes. <laughs> the wrong times. Um, uh, my wife and I came to the church two or three years ago, and we've become members, and we're uh, privileged to have that, and so uh, we thank you for that. Uh, our uh, Bible study in the mornings, Sunday morning at 845, we try to start a little earlier if we can. It's, uh, it can be a little social in there sometimes, so we sometimes don't get started till 9, and um, we try to get done before 10, and we apologize for the times we come out a little late and don't want to interrupt, but I just more than anything want to encourage you guys to join us whenever you want. Um, we are studying the Gospels uh, in a chronological order. So um, in about a year, we've made it through a third of the Gospels. So it is a wonderful study to kind of walk along the, the uh, Jesus ministry with him. And uh, we're about halfway through his ministry. We just studied the parable of the 
Parables of the Kingdom, Matthew 13. And um, if you haven't had the opportunity to be part of a verse-by-verse study, this is a chance to do that. Sometimes we'll spend the day, the morning on a verse, or maybe we'll get through uh, 20, depending on on, uh, the study and the people we have. So there's room for you. I want to encourage you that this is really your Sunday school class or your Bible study. You can come once, come every other week. There's no preparation needed. Just come in and join us, um, and we'd love to have you. Um, I won't call on you. Um, I call on Lily from time to time because she has such a sweet voice. We just want to hear her talk. But uh, I just want to encourage you to join us and don't feel like it's something that you need to prepare for. And we would love to have you, even if you come once. And um, So even if they haven't been there the whole time, they could still come in and not miss anything. They'd be yeah, able to you can, you can, there's no study needed. And you'll come right in. We read the scripture ahead of time, and then we talk about it and unravel what's there. And uh, the, the real opportunity in a, in a study like this is to really let God's word say what it says. Yeah. We're not emphasizing Matthew's account or Mark's account or John's account. We're emphasizing how God has, has intertwined his word through Jesus' ministry. Yeah. And it's, it's really been great. I mean, we study Jonah because Jesus told the Pharisees that the only sign they would get is the sign of Jonah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this has been a great um, study that Pastor has given for us. And one of the interesting things, you know, is Jonah's the only prophet that we know came from Galilee. And uh, there's a reason that that's not an accident that he is a prophet from Galilee. And he is both a type of Israel and a type of Jesus for us to understand and, and understand the scripture. And Pastor's done such a great job in bringing that up, that out for us. And it's interesting that the Jews at the time said, later on they accused Nicodemus saying, are you, are you, are you from Galilee too? Go study the scriptures. No tro- prophet comes from Galilee when in fact, they don't even know. I don't know if they just don't like the story of Jonah, which <laughs> if you're Jewish, you might not. Um, but it, it, it really is an encouragement to see how God's word is intertwined throughout scripture. And it is so trustworthy. So just want to let you know that it's here. It's always available for you anytime you want. And um, we encourage you to join us. Thank you, David. Appreciate it very much. Yeah. And... <clears throat> With our new middle school class that uh, has not been meeting uh, the last couple of weeks because of illness, but with our middle school class at 9 o'clock, you could come a little bit earlier and go into the, if you have a middle schooler, you could go into the adult class, and then you could go ahead and have uh, your middle schooler go into uh, the Griffins class, and that would be a a great compliment right there. Next Sunday, Jonah Part 5, From Prodigal Prophet to the Pouting Prophet. Uh, So I hope you'll be here for that. Also... In our bulletin, there are several things about Bible studies going on this week, but in particular, there's, uh, Julie, is there something in the bulletin about the silent voices and the needs for baby items? No, next week. I'm sorry? Next week, yeah. Okay, there's the full, so can you tell us what kind of things they need so they can prepare? Anything a newborn would need. Anything a newborn would need. Diapers? All that kind of stuff. Okay, so if you get it, and what we'll do, what we do with Silent Voices is we'll gather all that up. Julie will take it over to Silent Voices, and they help young ladies who have a baby who 
who were considering aborting that baby, but they decided to go ahead and give the baby life. And maybe they, one of the reasons they were thinking about abortion was because they didn't have financial resources. So we come alongside and provide some of the things that they need in a very practical way. So if you could pick up baby items and bring them to the church, uh, what's the date you're going to take them over? Eighteenth. So you've got time. So pick up some items, bring them up here, and uh, I appreciate that. Thank you, Julie, very, very much. Here's the uh, bulletin article. It says uh, it's entitled "The Lord's Table." The first Sunday of each month, we customarily observe Holy Communion here at First Baptist Church. Upon making that announcement last week, I was asked, "What do we need to know before taking communion?" And that's a great question. First of all, of course, you should know the Lord Jesus Christ, not simply who he is and who he claims to be, but you should know him as your personal savior. That means there was a specific time when you repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ for eternal life for the very first time. Paul wrote, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Secondly, every person should examine himself and so eat of that bread and drink of that cup, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. This is so important. We must not commune with sin prevalent in our lives. We must confess that sin to him and ask his forgiveness. And if we have something against another person, we need to forgive them in our hearts and later do so in person. What I love about all this is if we judge sin in our own lives, God will not have to judge us for those sins. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one. Here's a caution, okay, because I, I can't tell you the number of times, Billy, maybe you had this happen too, when people would say, after communion service, uh, Pastor, I didn't take communion. And I'd say, well, why not? Well, because I have something in my life that's not right, and so I didn't want to you know, eat and drink unworthily. Uh, but the whole idea of communion is to get things right with God so that you can commune. Please don't, uh, don't just let the elements pass on by and harbor whatever sin or whatever bitterness might be there. So uh, get it right with God and join in in taking the Lord's Supper. In addition, we should understand that the unleavened bread is a type, a picture, a symbol of Jesus' sinless body, and the fruit of the vine is a type of his shed blood. Jesus was standing there in that upper room, and he took those elements off of the Passover table, the unleavened bread, and he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Obviously, it wasn't his literal physical body that he was giving them. It was, it was uh, his words that this represents, in other words, my body broken for you. So do this and remember me when you do it. Then he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we do so. We, we do the, the Holy Communion. We take the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, and we remember him and the price that he paid to redeem us and the fact that he is coming again. And we praise God for that. Now, the, it's significant that Jesus never commands his disciples to remember the day of his birth, but he commands us to remember the event of his death. So that's a significant thing. So uh, just wanted to encourage you and share that with you. I hope that answers questions. Let's stand together as our praise team leads us in a couple of more songs.
right, sing that chorus one more time. The chorus, then sings my soul. praise team. Thank you so much for leading us in that. You may be seated in the auditorium and take your Bibles and open to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 today. And while the moms and dads are doing that, children, boys and girls, how many boys and girls do we have here? Let me see. If you put your hand there and okay and there and there and where else? Anybody else, boys and girls? Listen up real closely because this is for you. This is not for your moms and dads. This is for you. In church, we've been studying about Jonah. Remember Jonah and the big fish? And Jonah was told by God to go to a very wicked city and to preach that God loves them and that they were going to be in big trouble if they didn't turn from doing bad things and start obeying God. But you know what happened? Instead of Jonah going to that wicked city and preaching, he took off in the other direction. He disobeyed God, and he ran away from what God told him to do. Well, that's when God prepared a really big fish and had the sailors throw Jonah overboard, and the big fish came up and went, in one big swallow. Didn't bite him up in little pieces, thankfully, but he just swallowed him up. And he was inside of the tummy of the big fish. And in that tummy of the big fish, guess what Jonah did? He had a prayer meeting. And he started praying. He said, God, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for going the wrong way. I'm sorry for not obeying you. Please forgive me for that. And so the fish did something kind of gross. It kind of vomited, bleh, kind of puked Jonah up. Uh, I know a lot of Baptist preachers make people sick, but this one made a big fish sick, and he vomited him up on dry ground and then told him, hey, Jonah, I want you to go preach at that city I told you to go preach at before. You remember that? He, and Jonah said, yes, sir, I'm on it right now. And he went to preach the word of God to a city called Nineveh. And boys and girls, when he preached, you know what happened? Every single person in the city got saved. Every single one of them turned away from their wickedness. Even the king of Assyria got saved. And so here's something you know about that probably, but here's what you probably don't know, boys and girls, that God wants you to tell everybody about Jesus. He wants you to tell your mom and dad if they're not already in church and don't already know about Jesus. He wants you to tell your grandma and your granddad. He wants you to tell your aunts and uncles. He wants you to tell your cousins about Jesus. He wants you to tell your brothers and sisters about him. He wants you to tell your friends and your neighbors and your schoolmates and your teachers and everyone and anyone. He wants you to tell them that Jesus loves them too. So don't be like Jonah and run away from what God tells you to do. Tell everyone you can that Jesus 
loves them. And this we know, for the Bible tells us so, right? Okay, boys and girls, that's your job, to tell people about Jesus. And so if we have boys and girls ready to go to Sunday school classes, one right over here, second through fifth grade, one right over there, up to first grade, go ahead and be dismissed to your class right now. And we'll start with a message for the adults from Jonah chapter 4, only the greatest evangelistic outreach ever. In part one, Jonah part one, we learned three really important lessons. We learned, first of all, that God calls people to service. God doesn't just save you, and that's it. He calls you to serve him somehow. Trace, thank you for uh, stepping forward right away and, and saying, here am I, you know, use me, send me, do whatever you want to. God calls people to his service. Secondly, God cares enough about even terrible sinners to send a word of, of hope and salvation and love and grace to them. So it didn't matter how wicked Nineveh was, uh, God's desire was that every person in that city might come to know uh, salvation, might come to know God. And then the third thing is no one can hide from God. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go to Tarshish and get away from him. You can't go to Joppa and get a ticket to go to Tarshish to get away from him. You can't go on a ship and over the side and get away from him. You just can't get away from him. And Jonah, uh, part two, the second lesson we learned that the plans of a sovereign God are not easily thwarted by the stubborn will of a puny prophet. Who in the world do we think we are that we can challenge an almighty sovereign God? And I love that little uh, phrase, pray like everything depends on us, but work like everything depends, I'm sorry, pray like everything depends on God and work like everything depends on us. I think that's a very important thing to do. Third thing was, Jonah was as dead to the word of God as he was to the world of God, as the world that God made. And then the path away from God is always, always downward. It's going to keep going down until you do that 180. We've got a, uh, evidently a church that started up over close to where we live. It's called Church 180. And, and it's, it's that idea of turning completely around. You're headed one direction. You're going to turn around and head the other direction. Now, last week, the lesson included lessons on uh, the fact that we should learn to pray before we get in trouble. He would have saved himself a lot of, uh, he would have saved given the fish heartburn for one thing and uh, probably would have saved himself a lot of uh, agony and, and a fear and everything else. We also learned that God disciplines his children. God loves us and if we're his child, he is going to discipline us when we get out of his perfect will. And the third thing we learned was God will get you where he wants you the easy way or the hard way, your choice. Today, we're going to learn that God is sovereign still. His will will not be denied, and no one is so lost that they are hopeless. We begin in Joshua chapter, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. God is sometimes a God of second chances. Now, my, my first point was God is a God of second chances. Then I got thinking about it, and I'll tell you why I changed it in just a moment. So God is sometimes a God of second chances. Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. I'm so thankful it did. I'm thankful that, that Jonah didn't wind up being breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the big fish, uh, but rather God had other plans, and God gave him a second choice. He gave him the word of God a second time. Now, in that second giving of the word, he says the same thing, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. Preach what I want you to, to preach. Say what I want you to say. Now, Someone said a, had a phrase back when I was in Bible college that has stuck with me all these years. 
Why should anyone hear a second time until all have heard the first time? Why should anyone? And the truth of the matter is, most people in America, I used to say all people, but I found out that there are actually people who didn't. Well, Ryan told me he didn't know anything about who Jesus Christ really was when he came down to San Diego, Ryan Bailey, when he first moved down here. Uh, so there are people all over the world who've never heard that Jesus Christ loved them, died on the cross, and was buried, and rose again after three days. There are people who've never heard. So why should we expect to hear two times, five times, 20 times, a thousand times the Word of God on the radio, on the television, at the church, down in the neighborhood, at some mega church when we're on vacation? Why is it that we think God owes us a second time? He doesn't. He does not owe it to us at all. I'm thankful for second chances, uh, but the fact of the matter is Adam and Eve didn't get a second chance on being expelled from the garden. You realize that, right? They paid the price of being expelled from the garden. Yeah, he did give them a remedy to cover their sin. He did do that, uh, but they did die eventually, and that was the penalty for disobeying God. So God's word uh, well, why should we expect it here? Well, it's a dangerous thing to say no to what God is telling us to do and thinking that in our brains, well, when I, later on, I'll maybe do it. When I get older, I'll do it. Uh, when, when, I, when things are more convenient, I'll start serving God. When, when I feel like it, I'll start. It's a very dangerous position because we're not guaranteed a second, third, and fourth uh, word from God. God's word, by the way, doesn't change. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach. That was the same thing he preached before. Uh, it was a kind of, if you want to summarize it, it's get up and go. My mom used to say her get up and go is got up and went. Uh, but, but he was told to get up and go to Nineveh, that, that great city, and preach against it. God's sovereignty would not be challenged. His will will be done. Arise, and go proclaim, go preach the message I give to you. Now, notice this. It's not necessarily what people want to hear. A few weeks ago, I, and I mentioned abortion again today, but a few weeks ago I mentioned abortion, I mentioned the god Molech and how that uh, the, the idolatrous nations actually burn their children as a sacrifice and offering to God, uh, to their god, pagan god, and how that Israel was forbidden to do that, and yet some of the Israelis, some of the kings... Uh, themselves offered their own children on this pagan altar, had them actually a burnt offering to their God. And someone who was here that day was grossly offended that I would say that, even though it's in the Word of God. I, I mean, it's in the Word of God. We're supposed to declare the whole counsel of God. So people used to offer their children. People do it for different reasons now, but, and, and they don't do it the exact same way. But it, we're not. I'm not to preach necessarily what everybody wants to hear. I'm to preach what the Word of God has to say about abortion, about sexual sins, about racism, any of that. Uh, not what makes people feel good necessarily, because sometimes you might feel uncomfortable when I preach certain things. Truth of the matter is, that works both ways. The Word of God's a two-edged sword. Sometimes I'm preaching on things that makes me feel uncomfortable, because the Holy Spirit's saying, you're, you're being a little hypocritical here. And it causes me to take pause and to, ch and to check things out. Uh, not what just is politically correct. As, things, as moral issues become politically incorrect, we still have to stay with the moral issues as taught in the Word of God. Uh, he here's the thing. It's like, here's where the church is, 
here's where God's Word is. The church is supposed to be as close to the Word of God as it can be, but it, it's kind of in here, and culture is behind that. And, and the further culture gets behind, it seems like the further church gets behind what the standard ought to be. But when we stay with what the Word of God says, thus saith the, the Word, forever my Word is settled in heaven, God says, we stay with the standard of the Word of God. No matter what society begins to accept, what society begins to believe, we stay with what God says. We're going to be right with Him. may not be very popular, may wind up um, in jail at some point for preaching the truth. Some Canadian preachers have had that happen to them. May wind up um, being persecuted more than just being jailed. That happens all the time in a lot of countries, in a lot of African countries, in a lot of uh, Arab countries. People pay for their faith with their lives, with their own blood. So it's not what current societal mores dictate. It's what the Word of God says. He said, preach what I tell you to preach. Jonah was to preach God's message, not critique it, and certainly not change it. The word proclaim in the English comes from, is, is translated for the Hebrew word that means literally a formal pronouncement, like a message from an ambassador. So I don't remember if I've ever had anybody say, um, I don't think I've ever had anybody correct, try to say, you, you, better, you better not preach that. Don't preach that in the pulpit. Because I'm going to tell you right, right in here. You know, what, what happens over here, that's, you know, that, can go, that can change. What happens over here, that can change. What happens over here, that can What happens here is between me and God, and God and you, and God and me, and I'm going to do what I think God wants me to do. Second point is this. Wise people learn life's lessons. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, decides to obey Jehovah God this time. Lesson learned. Let's see. I can, his reasoning went something like this, probably. Let's see. The first time God said, go to Nineveh and preach, I didn't do it, and I got swallowed by a big fish. Now he's saying, go to Nineveh and preach. Same thing. I wonder what I'll do. <laughs> he said, duh. I'm going to go to Nineveh and preach. Lesson learned. So Jonah rose, verse 3, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three days journey. There's some discrepancies about what people believe that phrase, the city of three days journeys, means. Some believe it took three days to go around the, the metropolitan area. Some thought it took three days to go across. I, I'm not sure, but it, it was a three days journey. I sometimes thought it took three days to get there. Uh, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. It says it took him one day. And he cried, and he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So this time he heads, instead of southwest, he heads northeast. And he goes uh, to uh, Nineveh, which is about 500 to 550 miles away from where he was. And the phrase, a very important city, literally means a, great, a city great to God, a city important to God. Well, we learn why the city was important to God, because there were a great number of people who did not know the Lord, who didn't know God, the true God, Jehovah God. And so it was very important to him. The circumference of Nineveh was about 55 miles. And so with the task at hand, I'm not sure how this happened. I don't know if he went and preached in one place for three days. I don't know if he, he preached one place and then went to another part of the city and preached there and went to another part of the city uh, and went to several places over three days. Or, or I don't know exactly how that happened, but I know that um, we, 
I know that he preached, and I know it had a huge effect on the people. We can learn to obey God the easy way or the hard way. And he learned the hard way because he, he, did a, he didn't do what God told him to do initially. And so now he's going to do what God told him to do. But the easy way to read and practice the word of, is to read and practice the word of God and to learn from those who have messed up and those who have made mistakes. Read about Ahab and his plotting against Naboth and his vineyard and, and how that Jezebel had false accusers um, accuse Naboth of, uh, of idolatry and then stole his land and gave it to her husband Ahab. Uh, and they paid a huge price for that later on. You learn about anger and Moses. Moses killed an Egyptian. Uh, later on, uh, he would strike the rock twice and because of that not enter into the promised land. You learn about Achan when he went to the battle of Jericho and he was told they weren't to take anything for themselves, that everything belonged to God, the silver, the gold, uh, anything, the precious jewels, all of it belonged to God. This was the first fruits, the tithes, if you will, of the cities they were going to attack later on in the land that they were about to take over. And so the, everything, this first fruits belonged to God. You learn about Achan, who took that which belonged to God and hid it in his tent, buried a hole, uh, dug a hole, buried uh, a Babylonian garment and some gold, and, and there covered it up with dirt. He didn't even get to use it. I mean, it I mean, stop and think about this. He, he takes what he shouldn't have taken, what belongs to God, and he took it home, and, and he dug a hole and put it and, and covered it up. This nice garment buried in the ground. He, it's not like he could wear it and walk through the camp and say, hey, how, what, what do you think of this? Huh? Huh? Little GQ here? What? Huh? What do you think? Couldn't do that? And what a price he paid. What a price his family paid. So we can learn from these people. Learn about apostasy uh, from Israel who turned away. Learn about lying from God, uh, from Satan, rather, who lied. <clears throat> You're not going to die. You eat of this tree. <clears throat> You're not going to die. Who said that? You're not going to die. You're, you're going to become like God. You'll, you'll, your eyes will be open. You'll become like him. <clears throat> learn about adultery from David. Much better to learn what not to do by watching him than to experience it yourself. So the easy way is to read and practice the word of God. One, if there were no other reason to be in the word of God every day, it's to know what happened to people who did things God's way and what happened to people who did things contrary to God's way. My mom used to say, if, 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 if everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? So if you're reading that jumping off a cliff results in people getting dead, you shouldn't jump off a cliff. If everybody stuck their head in the oven, would you stick your head in the oven too? No, mom, what are you talking about? Well, learn from people who have, have been recorded, their, their experiences have been recorded. That's the easy way. The hard way is to do whatever it is that we want to do and then reap the consequences of our disobedience in the same way that the people whose names I just read experienced it. And so the question boils down to, which will it be for you and me? You find a wallet out on the sidewalk, got some money in it, got a name in it, Take the money out, turn the wallet in? No. Well, they'd probably give me a reward. No. Take the money, the wallet, the whole thing down to the police station. 
they'll take it, they'll get it, or if there's contact, call them up and tell them, hey, I found you, whatever, found your wallet. You're at the, you're at the bank, Chase Bank, <clears throat> and, and the, the teller gives you too much money back. I was a, this happened to me a few years ago. I was at Chase Bank down in Imperial Beach, and the teller gave too much money back, and I said, I think you, you didn't give me the right amount of change. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. I gave you the right. I said, you sure? She said, yeah. And I said, well, it looks to me like I got too much. Oh. Oh, well, that's different. <laughs> too much is different. Yes, I must have given you the wrong amount of change. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't walk out because the cashier gave you too much back and say, oh, thank you, Lord, what a blessing. <laughs> gave me $10 too much. You're so good to me. This is a test. This is only a test. So which will it be for us? Jonah began preaching the very first day, the message from the Lord. And, and you know, I, I, don't know <laughs> I don't know how long the actual message was. But it's basically five words, right, in, in, in the Bible, in, at least five words recorded. I can't imagine a preacher. He must not have been Baptist. So, so it says here, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, that's eight words. Eight words long. Not a very long prayer. Uh, sermon, more like a prayer. Not, not a very long sermon at all. And yet it had such a profound effect. And we, he probably said more than that. I don't know. But, uh, but the message was probably brief, and the results was overwhelming. Jonah just repeated the same sermon over and over as people began to repent. Jonah, the recipient of grace, was preaching judgment, even though he had been the recipient of an incredible amount of grace. He said, 40 days, you got 40 days. That's it. 40 days, and judgment's coming. Now, the word overthrown or destroyed here can mean two different things. It can mean an annihilation. That's what we think of normally. Something's destroyed. It's completely annihilated, wiped off the face of the earth, whatever, uh, just left in ashes. But it can also mean a change of heart, I found out. So when they were told they were going to be destroyed, they, 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 they were either going to be annihilated or they, or they have a change of heart. So there's a, a, a double meaning here. And so that means that Jonah's message, because of the outcome, because of what happened, was not predictive but served as a warning. It was not a prophecy made. Uh, he was not an inaccurate prophet because all it took was one prophecy not to be fulfilled for a prophet to be declared uh, illegitimate. You know that, right? But, but here, with this double meaning, either there's going to be annihilation or a change of heart. And what happened was there was a change of heart. And this goes hand in glove with Jeremiah 18, 7, 8. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. God says that the whole idea is, is if I preach to you and you repent, and you change your ways, you make that 180 turn, then I won't go ahead and destroy you as I said that I was going to. And so this gives me hope for the United States of America. God help us to repent. God help us to turn around. God help us as a people. Not in my lifetime if we had a national revival. I'm hoping I get to see one. I'm hoping we get to have one where people turn around, where the Holy Spirit so speaks to the hearts of people and so brings 
the, the conviction that there's nothing left to do but to repent and to fall on our faces before a holy God and to ask his forgiveness and to come back to him. That may be the only thing that could save our nation at this point, as a matter of fact. We seem to be on a downward trek ourselves at a rapid pace. So look at verses 5 through 9, the results of the invitation. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was a real coarse cloth made of goat's hair. It was a sign of poverty. Poor people couldn't afford uh, silk and, and all, linens and all kinds of really nice fabric. They would wear this real coarse cloth, uh, loosely woven, uh, and it was a sign of, of poverty, but also a sign of mourning. So they put on this sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, listen to this, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. The very king of Assyria did the same thing as the people did. He took his beautiful, no doubt, robes off, signifying him as the king of the kingdom of Assyria, put on sackcloth and ashes, sat in, in ashes, and there humbled himself. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, uh, this is amazing to me, herd nor flock, taste anything. Fasting was always mentioned and always meant to get God's, to get the attention of the people uh, and to get God's attention. So when they would fast, they would say, Lord, I, I'm doing without so that I can connect with you on a more intimate level. So fasting livestock was, was more common in those days, not something we think of now. If I'm going to be fasting, I'm probably not going to have my two little puppies fast. I mean, it sounds funny, I guess. Yeah, uh, they look at me. You know, they know what time it is. They know when it's time for breakfast, right? Yeah, my older pup will come up and go like, <laughs> look at the clock on the wall. Now, they don't, but they do almost that, man. I, I tell you, they know when it's Sunday. They know when it's Sunday because when it's Sunday, I give them chicken treats. They're... They're dried chicken strips, and, and that's reserved for Sundays and sometimes Wednesdays. And so uh, when, when they see me grab my Bible and head for the stairs to go downstairs, they're like super excited, and they're running around circles, and, and they're heading for their room and looking back and heading, you know. So I can, if I were fasting and said, I'm, I'm sorry, Puppy Sue and Susie Q., you're going to fast with me today. They'd go like. <laughs> they wouldn't like that. But that's something they did. They withheld feed from the animals. They withheld water from the animals. They withheld food from their own tables. Uh, fasting was to get God's attention. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, Yea, let them turn everyone from his individual responsibilities, his own, it's, uh, his own evil way. In other words, everybody, a, a nation doesn't get right with God. Individuals get right with God. The judgment of the nations that's future doesn't mean if you happen to be in a nation that's friend of God, then you got it made, no matter what your personal uh, feelings are and your personal uh, responsibility is. It, 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 the only way that nations come to Christ is when the individuals of that nation 
come to Christ. And so, yea, let every one of you turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in your hands. And who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from the fierce anger, anger that, we pierce, that we perish not? The people of Nineveh chose to do three things when they heard the message. They first of all believed God. That's the first thing to do. When we hear the word of God, we ought to believe the word of God. Secondly, they proclaimed the fast and mourn, and they announced it. So they, 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 they did an inward thing with their heart, then they announced it to the public, and then they did an outward thing to show their spiritual um, repentance. They put on this coarse clothing and sat in the ashes. So from royalty to commoners, from nobility to peasants, from the old to the young, from the powerful to the powerless, everybody it says here, turn to God, even the king. This was the greatest evangelistic outreach that I know of anywhere in history. And then of 120,000, I think, is what it said, 120,000 people, and there's some concern over maybe there was even much more than that, that that was just the ones who couldn't discern between their left and right. I read that today, that uh, that, that might have been referring to the children. I never heard that before, but there could be as many as 600,000 people. doesn't matter. It was a major city in the kingdom of Assyria, one of the earliest civilizations founded by Nimrod, and here they came to God all at once. And God saw their works, verse 10, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, this was both a mystery and a miracle. It was a mystery that a pagan nation would respond to the preaching of the word of God when, guess what? Israel did not respond to the preaching of the word of God. Israel, God's own people, God's own nation, didn't respond. They were still in their sins. <clears throat> Some theorize that's one of the reasons Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, because if they, in fact, did repent of their sins, and, and Israel were still uh, going away from God and, and practicing idolatry and paganism, that there would be even more judgment upon their nation. So it was a mystery that Jeremiah's preaching to Israel landed him in a dungeon while Jonah's preaching at the same uh, time was accepted by the people and they were convicted of their sins. But it was also a miracle. Because anytime, look, anytime anybody gets saved, that's a miracle. A person who was going to hell is now going to heaven. A person who was weighted down with guilt and shame now can breathe fresh air, know their sins are forgiven, know they're in the right relationship with their creator. So Nineveh repented, Israel did not. That's why Jesus said in Luke eleven thirty two, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The Ninevites, turning from evil, led to God's turning from doing evil to them, judging them for their sin. There's a whole other subject here, and that is, does God really change his mind? 
Because, again, I think I talked about this last week. If God changes his mind, if what he was going to do first is because he's sovereign and he's, he's uh, omniscient and all that, and so he decides he's going to do something, and then if he changes that, does, how, does that interfere with the sovereignty of God? Well, uh, we already saw how that he, would, he was going to bring judgment unless they repented. He gave them that option. And so I'm not sure how it all works, but I do know this. Ninevites got saved. Nineveh was spared for a while. Guess what? Nineveh was destroyed later on. When you get into, I think it's Nahum, you start reading about the, the judgment and the destruction of Nineveh later on. But when they repented, they, they were preserved. Folks, we, we need a national repentance in, the, in, in our nation so that we can preserve perhaps another generation, another opportunity to get the word of God out until Jesus comes again. So I'm thankful for Jonah's receiving the word of God the second time and resulting in a whole city coming to Christ. Next week, we'll talk about Jonah part five from the prodigal prophet to the pouting prophet. But now we come to the communion table. And what I want us to do is to take this communion opportunity seriously. First thing I want to do is if you did not pick up the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine when you came in, if you would raise your hand, uh, Doug Cole will get that to you right now, and Gary will get that to you right now. Just raise them up real high. If you did not get the juice and the unleavened bread, go ahead and get that right now. Anyone else? Anybody else? Next, what I want us to do is to take seriously the idea of examining our own hearts, asking God if there's any sin in our life that needs to be confessed to him, asking the Lord to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're not saved, to ask him to be your, your savior, to appreciate what he's done for you in dying on the cross for your sins. If you have ought against another person, to promise God right now, you know what? I'm going to ask that person's forgiveness. It doesn't really matter what they did to offend you. It matters more that we have hearts of bitterness and we need to ask for forgiveness. So would you take a moment right now, every head bowed, and would you just talk to the Lord for the next few moments? Make right whatever needs to be made right before we commune at the Lord's table.
in the upper room. Jesus' disciples, except for Judas Iscariot, were celebrating the Passover feast. The Passover feast was an annual observance of the fact that God had supernaturally delivered Israel from slavery in the land of Egypt. So they had several items on the Passover table, one of which was unleavened bread, another was the fruit of the vine, another was salt, another was water, another was bitter herbs. They had the sacrificial lamb. They had these elements, and they were observing this annual celebration of deliverance. And Jesus took this opportunity to establish a whole new observance. We call it the Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper, Communion, the Eucharist, called by various names. It takes two of the elements from the Passover table. Paul says it this way, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus in the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful. Lord, we have no way of salvation apart from what you did for us. We have no hope for heaven, for eternity, without you. Lord, there's nothing we could do, nothing we could pay to earn or to purchase eternal salvation. But because of your son and his death on the cross and his resurrection, we have eternal life. Thank you for this bread representative of his body, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's give thanks for the shed blood of Christ, our Father in heaven. We're so grateful that not only did Christ come to purchase us, to make it possible for our sins to be forgiven, but that he came in the prescribed way according to Scripture. We know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We know there are a number of ways that Christ could have died, and had he died in those ways, our salvation would not have been secured. But because of the crown of thorns, the plucking of his beard, and the merciless beating the cat of nine tails. And because of the nails driven their hands and feet, and because of the spear thrust in his side, his life's blood was poured out, not spilt, but poured out as a sacrifice, an atonement and forgiveness for us and for our sins. So thank you, Lord Jesus.
for the blood that covers our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Do as often as we do it in remembrance of him. I'd like for us to stand together. <clears throat> in the original <clears throat> observance of the communion, they sang a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. I'm going to ask as much as possible we kind of join hands and it's a symbol of unity and sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul as the praise team leads us. And this will close the service and I want to thank you for being faithful to God's house today. May God richly bless you the rest of the day and this week in Jesus' name. Thank you.